When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, Ag Direct can help you finance it. You can even apply online to agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving Iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 355. I've got Andy Junkin back here from Stubborn.farm. And uh he's comes on every once in a while, talks about what's happening out there in the in his travels. And and Andy, you what are you up to today, man? I'm just just uh working in the basement, just doing what my wife tells me to. Yeah, no. Yeah, there's, there's <laughs> certain bosses you have to listen to, right? Yeah, well, I I just uh I'm the thing in the basement that makes the money, right? So we're all good. Yeah, so yeah, I know we're all good. I know Everybody else is getting to drive tractors out in the sunny weather today, but uh, no, I'm stuck in the basement. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I know what you mean there. It's all good. Know what you mean there. So you sent me a list of some stuff to kind of go over and talk about, and sure. a couple different topics here. And the first one is uh, something that I, I mean, really honestly, it's one of those things that you see happening a lot right now on, on the farm, and and it's you know kids are coming back people getting married um secession plane and all this kind of stuff comes into play and you start looking at how are you going to protect the farm or ranching operation whatever that you got if if god forbid you know a divorce happens or something like that comes into play and 
you kind of tile the spouses ruin everything and and this is all tongue in cheek in that but there's there's yeah. a, there's a lot of that that you see coming to play where you know it's not the romantic idea of of what a farm and ranch is once you get there it's not as romantic as as you may have thought it was when you got there and what's yeah. that like and then what's a working relationship with with in-laws and everybody else that comes back in to the farm too so i guess yeah the biggest thing andy that i think people um i i see a lot of it on twitter and i've seen so many you know instagram posts and those kind of things with people talking about this but you know you start talking about prenups and that's a that's like the third rail of politics almost it's one of those deals where obviously you don't love me or trust me if i have to sign a prenup yeah i mean I, i've officiated a lot of i actually back in ontario i actually officiated 42 weddings and uh, quite a few, actually, I, um, this is back when I was a bachelor before I married an American girl and moved here down, down to Iowa in the Midwest. But basically, I um, used to have a little thing. I started off with one friend and uh, did a shock. He wanted a, sh- a redneck wedding. So he we got my wedding license, and I actually officiated a shotgun wedding. Well, it turned out I did 42 of those. Mm-hmm. And so there's nothing like getting up in front of the rural community and ask, uh, saying something about love and marriage and asking if anybody has any objections to this year wedding and then reloading the shotgun. <laughs> and uh, But the thing is, I've, 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 I've mediated uh, over 100 um, situations where there's been a prenup um, brought out. And there's nothing that says welcome to the family like uh, the week before a wedding or even hours before a wedding, um, getting somebody to uh, sign a prenuptial agreement. It uh, really instills a lack of trust and it makes a person feel that they have to have that that family's last name, uh, but they're not part of the family. And uh, it really impacts the long-term success of the operation. I mean, I can I can argue both. I have argued both for and against uh, prenuptial agreements, but um, I think it's it's something to be considered. Is is um, you know what I think is ironic is that there's lawyers. They may take a template. I mean, the prenuptial agreements, they're pretty much template, uh, cookie-cutter stuff that, that, that they have in legal agreements. There'd be a lawyer that would argue for a prenuptial agreement, and then after lunch, in front of the same judge, argue against it. And so the weight of a prenuptial agreement, I mean, that can be argued. I, I think that uh, – um, but I think that one of the biggest things that really impacts the long-term success of a family business – is the amount of emotional involvement that the spouse has in the operation. Whether or not they are actually actively involved in the farm day-to-day doesn't matter. It's how how engaged they are in, in the success of a business. And if they don't have a, a stake in the business, then you know they're not going to be really wanting to sacrifice their holidays and their vacations and their, their time away from their spouses. Uh, to the same extent as somebody that's actually got a stake in the business, it's a huge problem, and uh, it's really impact. I see see how it really impacts the motivation of the son and daughter in taking over the business. You know, and uh, so yeah, you've seen. Have you seen similar situations to that, or uh, Casey? What's been your experience? Uh, I think my experience mostly with the prenuptial thing is is that it's how it, how it's presented and when it's presented is that causes yeah. the problem. You know. I've seen prenuptial agreements um, presented in the fact of, you know, we're happy to have you part of the family. We we're excited about this, but we have a business that we're trying to operate here. And, yeah. and um, you know, we're, we're 
we're doing this to that if something does happen, God forbid, then this is what happens. Now, I have also had heard the stories of of people where you know they're getting ready to walk down the aisle and and it's yeah you know, they just got their clothes on their their you know, the wedding gown just got put on and the tuxedo just got put on and here comes dad or grandpa busting in there and by the way before this happens you guys i need you to sign this piece of paper and yeah i i, I officiated a wedding where that was the case and that did not go well right they went through the motions but i mean it really caused a rift in <laughs> In the yeah. whole day and and really that that first couple of years of that farming partnership yeah. and uh you know i think the best best i mean you have to when your sons and daughters are, are the age of 16 um you really as a family have to really think this through and uh because your son and daughter i mean you're you're probably about eight months away from having a shotgun wedding right yeah for a lot of a lot of sons and daughters that they they tend to have weddings about six or eight months after after meeting, um, after you know that he ha- he or she has a, gr- uh, a girlfriend sometimes, and there's sometimes you get uh, your kids get married um, on short uh, short notice, I guess you'd say. And I think one of the one of the things that I've seen that's worked the best is actually um, there was a family they had three sons, and they just had um, a prenuptial agreement. It was is a simple two pager. It was a front and back of a piece of paper. And before the, the um, any of the girls that uh, wanted to have a beer in the shop of the farm, um, they were kind of a social farm where they used to drink beer in the shop. You had before you got a beer, you had to sign the prenuptial agreement if you had kissed kissed the boy. Um, so that was just a rule that the family had, kind of as a joke. But basically, the, any girl that walked on the farm that was kind of uh, seeing one of the boys, she knew up front what the deal was. And so it wasn't put on her last minute. And then it, the, the deal was that she had to sign the prenuptial agreement the second time if she wanted to get a wedding, wedding ring. And so that was just, a, it was a kind of a, a joke, but it, the girl knew up front in that, fit, in that family what the deal was. And I think they also didn't just have it so that you're going to be um, off, off. If you get choose to get divorced, you're going to be left with nothing. There was... Um, it was seen as an opportunity to earn equity in a growing business based on contributions. So it wasn't just leaving her with nothing. If she contributed, um, they kept track of her hours and the contribution and, and allocated equity in accordance. So, um, you know, I think that that has to be taken into consideration, but as you said, how you present it is really, really dictates where things are at for 30 years. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's really something that families mm-hmm. underestimate. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, so, uh, it shouldn't be used as a power play. It should be used as a, this is, this is another, this is crop insurance basically, yeah. you know, yeah. and that's what yeah, we're I mean, like uh, when I was in New Zealand, um, I went to a farm management competition down there mm-hmm. and I don't know if you've ever been down in New Zealand, but those yeah. farm management competitions, they actually give away the farm financials at the front gate. So, I mean, you, you would never see that even if it was young farmer of the year here in America or in Canada, you would never see the farm's financials. Um, but in that in that situation, um, they gave away the numbers of the front gate. So I went to the judge and I was asking him, like, what number do you base it on? Your milk production, your cost per acre, your return on assets. He said, I didn't even look at any of those numbers. He says, I interviewed the spouses. I didn't even interview the farmers. I interviewed the spouses because in my opinion, and he he says the amount of engagement that a, uh, that a spouse has, whether it's a boy or a girl, in the farmer's success and the, the spouse's success 
is really going to dictate where there's where you're going to be in 10 years time. And he pointed, there was this girl uh, standing underneath the tent in a, in, drinking a coffee. He says, you see that girl there? She is, um, she's a doctor. She's the, she's the, this farmer's um, wife. She was actually delivering a baby all night and she's drinking coffee this morning because she was, uh, she was, she was delivering babies all night, but she knew the numbers on that farm better than any other spouse. She was really engaged in the long-term success of the farm and she's pouring money, her investment capital from her doctor's job into growing this farm. And she says, based on, he says, like when that farmer has to get out of bed at four o'clock in the morning to, to go um, cab out cows, she's going to be kicking him out of bed. And she's highly engaged. And I think that's why I feel confident that this is the young farmer of the year because of the amount of support that his spouse has for the long-term success of the business. Yep. I think that whether you're a software company or a farm or whatever type of business you have, it's the same. And so I think it's something that, that parents don't understand is that something said wrong at a wedding can really impact the business 30 years down the road. Yeah. And it's a huge problem that we had. Uh, Motivation is a huge problem. We don't, we underestimate. Yeah. So what, what do you think some, the, some of the solutions are to this? I mean, we've talked about all the horror stories associated with that, but when you're talking with folks and, and coaching them through these timeframes, how are you, how are you talking to them about what some of the, some of these. Well, I, I think the, the number one thing is the issue of entitlement. You know, instead of, I mean, it's great that you come from a good farm family, but you know, I think the issue is that Nobody gets married expecting a divorce. Nobody goes into a farming partnership expecting there's going to be problems. Right. And the problem is we have this false belief that it's going to be happily ever after. And I think up front, as you have a son and daughter-in-law, no matter how wonderful he or she is and how highly you think of them, you have to understand that at some point in time, you're going to have problems in that relationship. And, you know, what I often see happen is that – um Somebody that the family almost puts on a pedestal falls off the pedestal, right? And because, and they don't really have the ability to, as you know, you as when you're raising your kids, you know, my, like my four year old today, he threw a temper tantrum. Well, I expect that from him, but you don't expect to get a temper tantrum from a 24 year old girl or, or a 24 year old son in law. Right. Who you're spending your life to, uh, t- uh, your lifetime work is about to walk into the the operation that you spent 40 years building, right. and so I think that the expectation that's going to be happily ever after that's the number one issue, and so we got to have I, I would suggest right up front you have the structure that you have um, you invest I mean the attitude of we're going to invest time like it's money we're going to have a time and place to solve problems right? On a monthly basis. And the biggest thing is empathy. And we have to understand the other person's perspective, not just our own. Right. And I think that that's the number one rule is, is, is the, empath- the lack of empathy and that we as farmers, we're stubborn. We only see things from our way and we got to get really stubborn at understanding the other person's perspective before we make judgment on our own. Yep. So you've talked about this in the past where, you know, son or daughter wants to come back into the farm and they want to go do their thing. They yeah. get the three year kind of cycle yeah. where they put the 9,000 hours or the 3,000 hours in and they're, they're going through that operation. And it's basically an interview process that yeah. whether it's formal or informal. Have you ever had that conversation with, all right, cool. You want to bring, you know, son or daughter goes off to college, comes back in, they bring, you know, 
you know, boyfriend or girlfriend back with him. They're going to get married and this other thing. Because that's a that's a different conversation than with the, than me having that same conversation with my son or daughter about whatever. How do you how do you link that person back into the operation, but go through a similar process that you would with the son or daughter that's coming back into the operation? Um, that's a heck of a good question, uh, Casey. Is um, I, I think there should be a performance. Review. I mean, look, look. If if you're, I want. I, I really do think that the son and daughter-in-law should be in, involved in family business meetings once a month. Sure. Now, whether or not they're involved in day-to-day operations or not, um, that's up to your, I mean, up to that person. I mean, you may have um, sp- a spouse that uh, um, works as a mechanic at the John Deere or works at uh, for electricity company or is a nurse and just that they're part of the monthly meetings um, just to give you an outside perspective. And what I want to do in that in that meeting is get outside perspective from the spouse as to ways to improve the efficiency of the farm from a production standpoint and ways to improve the efficiency of the farm as far as how the family works together. Because they may not be involved in day-to-day operations, um, but they um, they certainly should be um, – they, they can give you a different insight. And what I think was really important is it's, it's like making decisions together as a family – it's like kindling. You start with a small uh, decisions first, and then at, at, like it's like building a, uh, a campfire, like I've s- uh, said to you before. When you start a fire, you don't start with the big logs first. You start with the little kindling. Right. And and what I want to do is get a father-in-law. Let, let's just, uh, I have a, quite a few farms where the, there's a daughter-in-law who went to, say, vet college. And so she has you might might work in a small in a small small town with small animals, and she may have learned different things at agriculture college when she was take, being a veterinarian. She could be a real asset to the operation. But the thing is, what what I want to do is get her to bring up those ideas. Now, half those ideas are going to be good ideas that are going to improve the efficiency of the farm, and half those ideas are going to be dumb ideas. But what I want you to do is be able to explain to her why it's a dumb idea. So she understands the wisdom of why you've done things. So she buys into the company culture and instead of just uh, dismissing the in-laws as being um, stubborn and not willing to change, they under- she understands the wisdom of what, what caused your farm to be successful. And she's able to pass over that wisdom to your future grandkids or your son-in-law is able to do the same thing. Instead of just saying, oh, my, complaining about the in-laws all the time, there's empathy and insight brought into the wisdom of what made the farm successful. And obviously if, if your daughter-in-law or son-in-law can suggest ideas and you have to, as a parent or an uncle or or brother-in-law or sister-in-law consider somebody else's perspective that's contrary to your own, um, it will cause you to actually consider what they're, what they're saying. And that's the biggest issue we, we have with in-law relations is that we only see things from our perspective. We don't consider the other person's. Right. And what we got to do as a family is get used to listening to each other. And so I want to have, um, like I said, at some point in time in the next 10 years, I don't know when it's going to be, but you're going to have a problem arise within the family. And if I can get a family arguing on monthly or quarterly basis, you got to decide how often you want to meet. Um, but if your daughter-in-law can 
can and father-in-law can have an argument about teat dip and adapt a new teat dip, then at some point in time, five years down the road, when there is a real big issue where father-in-law and daughter-in-law have um, strong opinions, they've learned to actually listen to each other. And they're not just only arguing their point and saying, I'm right and you're wrong. I'm not going to listen to you. Right. And I want to make sure that gets in place from in the farm from day one. And, and, um, and there's a perspective that, you know, obviously get families arguing about production related matters. Um, also get um, discussions about how the daughter-in-laws and son-in-laws can be more involved in the farm and, and how they can improve their contribution to the farm. You know, there's a lot of farmers that they get really upset with their daughter. I mean, I had one farmer, he walked into the house and he was really upset that dinner wasn't on the stove and he yelled at the daughter-in-law who had just got off her shift nursing and she'd been working all night and he expected lunch to be on the table. Well, there was a lack of, a lack of understanding between them all. And, and instead of it being a point of friction that there was yelling through passive aggressive behavior, if we can be proactive and say, hey, this is an area idea I have to improve how we all work together. What do you think of this? And if we can bring these things in proactively, it can prevent a lot of conflict in, within the family in the long term. So you've talked about empathy and you just kind of went through an empathy type of scenario there that you just laid out there. But when you're looking yeah. at this empathy thing, so I think one, other, one thing too, and, and reading through your, through your notes here kind of, kind of triggered my, my a thought process in my head here a little bit. That yeah. There's a lot of people I think that come back to the farm um, with one vision, uh, whether it's son or daughter coming back to the farm or son-in-law, daughter-in-law coming back to the farm, that there's going to be this, opportunity for me to do x right and yeah for example um you know i want i want horses right i want i want yeah. five horses right yeah and mom and dad are like there's no, we're not carving out any pasture space for a bunch of stupid horses we're not doing that yeah and so then then you know well, all right great then if you're not going to do it i'm going to go over across the road over here i'm going to buy this 20 acres i'm gonna put my horses over there well you're not going to do that either because where are you getting this money from to go buy these yeah. 20 that kind of stuff. When you start going down that path and you start having those who's living what dream uh, type of scenarios, when you start kind of laying into the empathy side, yeah. of that, how, how do you, how do you handle that? Cause I know you've had that, 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 that exact scenario yeah. with the horses. I, I can think of off the top of my head, seven situations. Yeah. I just went through when you're talking about that seven situations where that was exactly what happened. And, you know, I, I mean, there was one situation where, the daughter-in-law moved on to the home farm and basically what had happened was mom and her in-laws had a fight for about 20 years where uh, she wanted to raise her kids on the farm and instead her in-laws wouldn't move off the farm. And, and basically the kids grew up 10 miles down the road and it was a pain in the butt to haul the kids to the farm and, and for the kids really to be part of the farm. So when the, the daughter-in-law got married, they, mom had built her dream house about 10 years before and um, it took a lot of fighting to get, I mean, finally, when the in-laws didn't move off the farm, they demolished the old house because she couldn't stand the in-laws and she built her dream home. And so when the daughter-in-law came in the picture um, and she actually was um, pregnant when, when, uh, when she got married, the mother-in-law volunteered uh, to move off the farm and for the daughter-in-law to move into her home. And for her to give that up was a huge thing for her. 
And the daughter-in-law didn't appreciate that. She didn't really understand um, how much that home meant to her. Right. And and, uh, and vice versa, the first thing the daughter-in-law wanted to do was was um, put up a pasture field in, in front of the house and, and have horses. And and it was a situation that both women didn't respect or empathize with each other. And what I think is important is that's great for, I mean, mom always had the vision of the kids being able to grow up on the farm. And, um, you know, obviously she gave her daughter-in-law her dream home. And she got really upset, actually, when the daughter-in-law actually painted the house a god-awful color, in her opinion, right? And and wanted to make some building renovations to make it her home instead of just her mother-in-law's home. But I think that the issue is that we gotta we gotta expand the dream of the farm from being my farm or the parents' dream to the daughter-in-law's dream. And you know, some of those things can happen right away, and then some of those things. They've got to happen over time. Like I had a, a situation where um, the family put a $700,000 into the niece and nephew coming home on the farm into up, upgrading um, old homes. And then the uncle got really upset that the, 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 his niece wanted to, to build a three-car garage the two years later. And, and put an art studio above that three-car garage after putting $700,000 into um, the, um, to the, renovating these houses. And they were only a 40, they were a $40 million farm. They had the assets to be able to do that. But he says like, it can't, Rome's not built in a day. And what I think there has to be understood is that we have to have a dream as to what, what do we want for a lifestyle? Right. And you, I mean, if you, if you, if you don't care for horses, but your daughter-in-law does, you have to respect that that's what's going to keep her engaged in the farm and, and engaged in, in having a happy happiness. But then you also have to have a joint dream. Okay, in ten in five years' time, if we get you got to set goals as a family. Hey, if we have a profitable year uh, for uh, five years over the next seven, and we've we've really improved the efficiency of this farm, then we do an art studio, right? But we got to have joint dreams, and that that just can't happen overnight. But that's got to be a shared dream by all the family members, and uh, there's got to be mutual respect and understanding. That uh, sometimes those dreams are going to be different than what you would do, but if it's necessary, I mean, everybody's got to live their own dreams, or else it's, it's, it's hell on earth, not heaven on earth here on the farm. Right. Yep. Yeah. All right. So you've talked about um, investing time like money, right? And yeah. Kind of what we've talked about so far kind of leads into that. But if you're looking at where do you spend your time and how do you spend it, and then what quality time are you spending on the farm, and what kind of quality time are you spending? At home, you know, those are all important things. And and you're, there's only, you know, the old adage, there's only 24 hours in a day. So you have to yeah. figure out how you're going to make those, spend those 24 hours. So what do you mean by that? What do you mean by spend time like money and invest time like money? Well, I, I think I spoke about this before in other podcasts, but I think it's so important is that, I mean, Schwarzenegger said it best, there's only 24 hours in a day. And you've got to sleep six. And if you've got to sleep more than six hours, then you got to learn how to sleep faster. And he says, that gives you 18 hours in a day. You show me where you're going to be in eight, uh, how you spend those 18 hours. I'll, sh- I'll show you where you're going to be in 18 years. Right. And whether you're a you know, bodybuilder, governor, uh, actor, or a farmer, I mean, the, the principles are the same, is that we only have 24 hours in a day. And the problem I see, like I had a, a farm that just recently, and there's two brothers, and they, they worked. Um, the average farm I work with, you know, about 3,000 hours a year is the norm. 
And this, these guys were putting in somewhere between 4,500 hours to 5,000 hours in the operation. They just worked incredible hours and they grew their operation. Um, they, they pretty much doubled it every five years. It was just incredible how much time that over the last 15 years, how much they had built up that operation and really took in their dad's dream and made it a reality. Um, the problem was that it was hell on earth on, at home. Uh, one of the brothers, he had a, a kid that had special needs. And simply put, that that um, that brother was putting in five thousand hours at the at the shop, but he was he wasn't there at home. And it it came out that the the daughter in law had developed a habit of drinking, and um, you know that was an alcoholic, and they judged her. and And the truth was that because her husband wasn't at home. The quality of family life that, that just wasn't there. And then on for the other brother, I mean, simply put, his wife, I was like really upset because, I mean, here their son was 14 and he resented the farm because dad was never at home and it was taken from his childhood. And in that situation, the father, he was working even more hours than the boys and mom was at home and she was lonely and she was in her 60s. She loved her husband. He was a good man. But she was really questioning, you know, do I really want to spend the next 20 years lonely? And or or do I want to get out of this situation, get married to somebody who wants to travel and do fun things as a retired couple? Right. And so in that situation, um, I asked him, what did you get done yesterday? And this was February. And he said, uh, he said, uh, he said what he, he had done yesterday. I said, yesterday afternoon, if you hired a mechanic from John Deere to do what you were doing yesterday afternoon, how many hours would you expect that mechanic to get that job done? He said, I probably two hours. And I said, how many hours did you actually spend doing that? He said, I was there for seven hours. And the truth was in February, I mean, there's a neighbor came in and socialized and, you know, basically during February, their, their, their farm was a man, man shop. Right. And, and, and so the acid test for their farm was they put an acid test? Was my last hour? Would I have spent a hundred dollars paying somebody for what I just did? And so when they were asking themselves, would you pay some? Would you pay somebody hundred bucks to either manage or fix the tractor, or or would would you have fired them if they if they just spent three hours doing the same job that took you an hour? Are you wasting your time? Um, you know, obviously during the spring and fall that they, they had no problems getting the job done really quick. They were definitely worth their time, but during the slow times of the year, they were dragging things out and they could have been spending that time with their families right. and, and then vice versa, you know, when they were coming in to the house, they were just playing on their phones or watching TV it wasn't quality time with their kids. They were home, but nobody uh, there, they weren't present. And so, you know, you know, a lot of families, they take their kids out once a week to be at a restaurant to spend quality time one-on-one -on -one with their kids with no distractions. The question has got to be, and so you're willing to pay a hundred bucks to a waitress really to force you to actually have quality time interacting with your teenage kids. Right. Well, the question has got to be in the time that you're home, how many quality hours are you actually spending with your kids? Right. I mean, there's gotta be time that you got to spend time brushing your teeth and doing the laundry and the other things, but you got to ask yourself like how many hundred hour moments 
a dollar an hour moments am I getting with my kids? Am I getting two hours a day of quality one-on-one time? And so for that family that I just spoke to you about, we got them to go from, from 4,500 hours a year down to 3,500 hours a year. And that was the goal that they set. And they're working on it. And they're, they're working on 1,000 hours at home that are quality time. Mm-hmm. And they have to document every night how many hours am I at home and am I actually present with my family. And they actually document during the day of the 12 hours I spent, what, how, what, uh, I mean, they go through each hour and they give themselves a monetary value of what, what would I actually pay somebody to do that? And as a result, they're becoming more wise as to how they invest their time in the business and also the time with the family. And as a result, they're going to be successful both at the business and the family as a result. The thing is with farming is we spend time, we don't invest time. And if we can get the family to be investing time, we can have better work-life balance as well as more successful farms. Because I think that, you know, I see a lot of families where the kids are taking over the farm and they feel entitled to working fewer hours than mom and dad. Well, the one thing that's that's common between any successful business is the working long hours, working hard, and working smart with your time. Right. And so it's not a challenge of working fewer hours than mom and dad. I think you're going to have to work more hours than mom and dad. But the time that you're investing, you got to work uh, invested more wisely, both within the farm and within the family. So you can have a better quality farm and you have a better quality family because you're more efficient with your time. Yeah. And if you can get not just yourself, but your dad and your siblings to do the same thing, that's critical. Because the thing is, is that you might be more efficient with your time. But the question is, is dad going home to spend time with mom? Or is he just working long hours in the shop or when he gets in the house, is he just watching television? Because the truth is that the biggest risk for a lot of farming operations isn't the son and daughter's marriages, it's the parents' marriages. If dad's just a grumpy old man when he comes in the house, why would mom want to spend the next 20 years with mom and dad? And that is the biggest issue. So you've got to hold your dad's feet to the fire uh, to be accountable to spending quality time at home and, and it's quality time on the farm. And so that all the partners uh, buy into the same principle and getting everybody to buy in that principle up front as the son and daughter come home and, and you're, you're talking about improving the quality of marriages is, I mean, for your brother, instead of be talking about, there's a lot of families that they call me and they want to get a prenuptial agreement after they, the son and daughter have been married for five years. Well, that ain't going to happen. But the thing is, what should be of concern is how do we improve the quality of everybody's marriage? And that should be, I mean, the farm should be heaven on earth, not hell on earth. And the farm, if you can get the family, everybody to buy into, we are not entitled to each other. We're, we're not. With the probability of uh, three partners all being married in 30, uh, 30 years time is extremely low with a 50% divorce rate in society. We are the underdogs. The only way we're going to do this is if we're going to get good with time management we're going to get good at pro- uh, proactively problem solving, not letting things fester. And we learn to understand each other's perspective, not just talk about our own. Okay. So you, you brought something up in that when you were talking about that. And, and a lot of farming operations are going to have great opportunities to grow over the next five to 10 years, just because the amount of, of folks that aren't coming back to the farm and the number of farmers that are, I think the average age of the American farmer right now is like 67 and a half or something like that. So the amount of opportunity that's some, of these younger um, generations are, are going to have is going to be 
it's going to be off the charts. I mean, they're going to have a lot of opportunities, assuming that they have, you know, the right things in place and access to capital and those kind of things. But yeah. So back to your point here, dad and two brothers and a daughter or whatever, you know, are all coming back in to do whatever. So you got these four people that are coming into play. Dad's trying to wind it down because he wants to go off and retire. And so you got this next generation that's coming back into play. What what kind of advice are you giving to people about building the growth strategy? And then how how are you walking through the not getting stuck working 5,000 hours a year type of thing and, and building that, you know, if we get X number of acres next year, this is what it's going to look like. This is the workload that we're going to have. Do we need to hire people for this or, or are we going to take this on? And then everyone's on the same page when that happens. So there's no like, well, I, mean, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't buy into this. Now you're never home anymore. Well, we talked about it up here up front that this for this next three or four years, we're really going to try to grow this stuff. And this is what it's going to look like. I need I, you to get on board with that. I, I, I would say that uh, just to repeat myself, but I think I, I think the biggest hindrance to growth for any any farm operation in the next 20 years is the number one issue is spousal support. How bought into the to the growth and and how how willing the spouses are willing to make sacrifices. But I think more importantly, to not take our marriages for granted because nothing's going to hinder uh, growth in an operation like a divorce, not just in the, the post uh, divorce after the after the divorce uh, uh, lawyers have settled, and the farm has a huge dent as far as making payments to a spouse. But you know that ten year period before, where the spouse is being torn between um, his spouse's needs or her spouse's needs and the in laws' demands, um, that can really cause a um, partner to lose the wind in the sails. And more importantly, like, I mean, simply put, I mean, if you're, let's say you're in a farming partnership and you with, and your brother or sister, they have kids and that spouse is not bought into the, to the principles of what made your farm successful, right? They have, uh, and they're raising the kids differently than what you would believe uh, sh- should be true. Ten years from now, those kids are going to be spoiled. They're not going to be partners you want to have brought into the operation. That's going to cause the whole farming partnership to fall apart. Right? It's really important that everybody's on the same page as to where the business is going, what the what the principles of what made the business successful, and what we got to change as far as our our habits, um, so that this is a better place for our kids to grow up in. So that next ten years is nothing but opportunity, um, not risk. So how I guess so. The question I'm, I'm I want yeah. you to answer is is how, how do you how are you having that conversation to start with? How are you setting that up to have that? Here's our here's our five year growth strategy. Here's what yeah. we have in front of us. Here's what it's going to take. Here are the hours that are involved with that. Because I don't think many people do. I mean, I think everyone looks at the opportunity and says, hey, guess what? We got this. We're going to pick up these 3,000 acres over here. Hey, we're going to pick up this whatever over here. And I think everyone working the farm understands the commitment that they're making. Yeah. If you're not working in the farm, I, you, don't, you don't understand the commitment that you're making. I, I, I Look, part of what you're talking about is we need to get a one-page business strategy as to what makes this farm successful. But before we, and I really think that the spouse has to be involved in that. It's just not the partners mm-hmm. that are actually involved day to day, but the spouse has to be bought into that process. So there's a vision. There's a one page business plan. 
as to what we're doing, right? And right. There, I mean, it's going to be obviously revised. I mean, there's going to be opportunities that come up. Hey, the neighbor next door is retiring. There's an extra thousand acres just came up. You know, the spouse is, you know, it's really important that you ask the spouse instead of tell the spouse, we just made this deal. Right. And well, that comes yeah. into the, that comes into the philosophy of empathy. Right. But I mean, there has to be a common vision as to what we're doing. There has to be a common understanding. This is what our families are all about. And it starts off with, with you guys, where, where I really want a family to get on board with is, is getting the family to manage their time like it's money by having a family discussion once a day as to what we're doing tomorrow and look, and then, and then on a week to week basis, okay, track how many hours did I work last week? If I worked 120 hours, that's great. But when am I going to make up my lost time next month to my kids? And I want to have that discussion once a month as part of your monthly family business meetings, right? So that we're not, we're, we're figuring out the right balance. And the spouse, it's not just us telling our, our, our spouses, they have to put up with it, but we have to proactively um, figure it out as to how we're going to do this, right? And they have to be bought in that process. So what I'm saying to you is, is invest your time like it's money and how, during a monthly meeting, uh, during daily, daily, daily discussions as to what the plan is for tomorrow. And then, and then second of all, have a monthly meeting where we, we review the, how we're investing your time in the next month. When am I going to take time off because I was working my butt off last spring um, planting or, or this forthcoming, like we're going into May. There's going to be a lot of guys working crazy hours. There's got to be a discussion um, in at the 1st of June. Okay, when am I going to take off time during the summer to make up lost time in my family? we got to have that discussion. But then we also have to have a discussion as to what are a couple of ways we can improve the, the production, what are a couple of ways we can improve how we work together. And it's got to be not just a daughter-in-law coming to the table complaining. It's got to be everybody coming to the table with an ideas so that grandpa is more likely, if, if, if it's only a daughter or son complaining, the parents are going to have their arms closed and see a criticism. It's got to be everybody coming to the table with ideas to improve the efficiency of the operation, both a production standpoint and, and from how we work together so that it's not criticism, but brainstorming. How do we make this a better place? Right. And then we got to have that before I sit down a family for a strategic planning meeting as to where the farm's going to be in 10 years time. I want to have 12 meetings where we talk about little decisions first before we and get everybody used to, to differing opinions so that when we're sitting down for that talk about where things are going to be 10 years from now, uh, we're used to listening to everybody's different ideas because your daughter-in-law might have an idea for a lot of dairy farms, for instance, there might be a daughter-in-law has an idea for uh, opening a cheese factory or going into some sort of value-added egg, right? We want to get her and grandpa arguing about teat dip first and get grandpa actually listening to the daughter-in-law's ideas, just saying, no, that's a dumb idea. But for them to be able to make little $1,000 improvements to the operation first before we talk about a million-dollar investment to expand the operation. Right. All right. So last thing here, which I think kind of puts a bow on everything we've talked about so far. Yeah. Some of the, one of the biggest issues that we see that I've seen anyway, where there's no clearly defined um, succession in place, right? You know, you've got people that have been on the farm, run the farm 15, 20 years. And if something happened to, to tomorrow to the 
to the matriarch and the patriarch of that farm, yeah. no one really knows what's happening. What's, yeah. what, what's that look like? So succession is such a, it's, it's one of the most important things for the long-term uh, growth of a family farm. And it's also, but it's also the one thing that is the least discussed thing until it's just absolutely blows up in your face or yeah. um, someone says, either you're telling me what I'm doing or I'm going to go find something else to do. Yeah. And I, I think that that's the issue I have is that we're putting so much effort on prenuptial agreements. And, and, and there's a reason for that. I understand that. But the thing is that 77% of farms do not have a succession plan. And there's a lot of sons and daughter-in-laws that are in their thirties or forties. And they said, like, we've been, we've been here for 15 years and you've worked for minimum wage where you could have made, you know, you, we've only paid ourselves 40, 50,000 a year where you could made a hundred thousand or more off the farm. And we don't own the house we live in. We don't own the truck we drive. And there's an ultimatum. There's, there's a lot of merit, like the biggest risk to marriages for farm families isn't adultery. It isn't alcoholism or any of the vices that you might hear of. It's the fact of in-law relations and the lack of clarity and anxiety caused by uh, succession planning. And you, I mean, there's a lot of parents, they hear the word divorce heard once because of a threat. Hey, like if we don't have a succession plan by, by January, I'm out of here. And whether my husband comes with me or not, it's his choice. Well, that causes the family to circle the wagons and just delay succession planning. And I've seen a lot of farms where the son gets told by his parents, you two got to choose between your wife or the farm. And, and for that son to choose the farm, but then resent it, to the point it causes his whole, whole life, personal life to implode and his whole motivation for the farm success to, to, to implode. Yeah. It's, it's dramatic. So what I think is really important is, is it comes back to that 9,000 hour rule that I talked to you about before is that after 9,000 hours, the son and daughter having a, um, been working on the farm and proving that they're this tall to get on the ride, that they're a partner that anybody would um, want to partner with, whether they're a blood relative or not for there to be a, a process for how they can earn equity over the next 30 years. And for that part of that to be figuring out, okay, um, you know, part of that would be the prenuptial agreement put in place, preferably proactively, so that the, the daughter-in-law isn't just automatically going to get half of whatever he owns or she owns um, by the, the first day after a marriage. But there's a fair business relationship in place so there's an opportunity for everybody to earn equity in a growing business. And there's an opportunity to earn in the growth of the business, uh, but you're not entitled to anything. You've got to earn it. Right. Yeah. Well, we've gone over a lot of stuff here. And I yeah. guess final thoughts about this as, as we close it up. Um, my, fi my final thoughts are this, is this, Casey, is that, you know, the, the farm is either heaven on earth or hell on earth. And I think it all comes down to how your son and daughter-in-law are integrated in the operation right. and how they become, yeah, it's not just a, giving them a last name or giving them a house to live in. It's really involving them in the operation and expanding the dream of the farm to include theirs. Yep. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, that comes back to three things. You got to be empathetic get everybody listening to each other's perspectives and respecting each other's decision, uh, being able to make decisions together as a family. 
and being able to go along, even if you disagree with the decision, being able to go along to get along, right? But making sure that everybody feels heard and listened to. And the second thing is having a time and place to solve problems, right? Proactively instead of being reactive. And then finally, really treating time like it's money and investing it uh, wisely so that you're able to have a good balance of uh, work and, work and li- a life balance. And I think the, the key thing is for every farm family is to be stubborn at the critical things that matter, not stubborn with each other. Very good place to leave it there, Andy. That's, those are those are good words there. So, Andy, if folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what you're doing over at stubborn.farm, what's the best way to do that? Uh, just go to www.stubborn.farm. I, I got a book called uh, Bulletproof Your Farm. I give it away for free. If you're um, if you're a farmer, feel free to give me a, a holler. I'll, I'll send you a copy of the book. You can give it to you can read it. It takes about an hour hour to read and uh, change your perspective on a few things. And if you're in the uh, industry, if you're you're a salesman uh, selling heavy equipment or or, or whatever, um, I'll, I'll send you two or three copies uh, copies of the book. You can give out to your, some of your clients and let's improve the odds of everybody farming together in thirty years time. Right on. And just go to stubborn.farm and you have a contact me type of. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Right on, man. Well, Andy, I appreciate you being on the podcast, bud. Appreciate that. Take right care. On. All right. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast. Check out the video version over on the YouTube channel, which is Moving Iron Podcast. And go to Moving Iron LLC for everything Moving Iron related and the information for the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th. If you want more information about that, send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. And I'll make sure to get that over to you. Also, if you have any questions for Andy and you want to send them in, send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com and I'll make sure to relay that on to him so we can talk about it on the next podcast. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Andy Junk and let's go move some iron, folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's IronComps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hard work.